this is Malia here, and I'm here with Fred Ramirez. You are listening to the Carrero Podcast. Today, our guest is Janine Halverson. She has been teaching since 1988, and in 2011, she was a runner-up for a $10 million STEM grant for a project she designed, which could be adapted to various levels of high school math. Unfortunately, she was not awarded that grant on the basis that her district, CJUHSD, with eight high schools, did not have technology in place. They were a year behind in getting Chromebooks in every classroom. Since then, she has written various projects and adapted others into project-based learning experiences, as that is the best way to teach math. Welcome, Janine. Hi, Janine. Thanks so much for being with us today. Could you please share with us any social media outlets that you would like the listeners to maybe follow you on or connect with you if they want to after this podcast? Um. Goodness, I get the only one that I'm really ever on is Facebook. I don't really do a, a ton of social media, but yeah, um, Reddit sometimes. Okay, but so if someone wanted to connect with you about something that you share today, they could maybe just send you a Facebook message there. Sure. Yeah, okay. that's fine. Great. So uh, I read that you were the runner-up for a grant, which is such a bummer because that would have been really nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wanted to know what your plan was for implementing that money and that um, for that project. Um, so it, it wasn't even my idea. I was at a um, I was at a um, what do you call it like a district thing over the summer where they were having us try to develop new materials to be able to teach the Common Core standards with once we were switching over. And this was about four years before they were actually implemented. And our district was really like good about um, being proactive and trying to train us ahead of time. And so they had us a meeting. We met for like two weeks in the summer and they decided rather than having, you know, to hire consultants and bring people in to teach us what to do, they had the confidence in us to be able to come up with our own materials. And so they just kind of said, whatever you want to do, like, you can adopt a textbook, but there weren't any textbooks at that time for Common Core. Um, or you can just, you know, go and search materials and come up with your own stuff. And so that's what we were doing. And there just happened to be, there was a woman there who was doing some research at um, Claremont Colleges. And she was attending, They asked, she had asked if she could attend the meeting and just kind of sit in and listen to the teachers. And uh, she came up to me and she said, I overheard you talking about this um, Disney Imagineer project. And um, she said, would you mind if I take a look at it? And so I let her look through all my materials and explain to her what we were doing. And um, she said, where did this come from? And I said, well, I, I created it. And then she was like, wow, she's like, this is really amazing. And she said, I want to, I've been wanting to apply for this grant, a STEM grant, and um, I was wondering if I could use your project. And she said it would uh, be a $10 million grant for your school district if you win it, and I'll do all the paperwork for you. Um, and that's what she did. I mean, she was she did the whole thing. She submitted it all, and uh, we ended up being the runner-up because our district did not have the technology in place hmm. is basically what she said. Yeah. You don't have the technology in place to be able to implement this program. 
And so we were a year short because we didn't have Chromebooks in all the classrooms. Hmm. And the next year we got the Chromebooks in the classrooms, but we didn't win the grant. Yeah. Oh. So what were some of the STEM elements of that pro that project that you had? Um, so I created it at the in integrated math one level so that it could be used for uh, with algebra one and geometry concepts. Um, but then it also had like elements of um, quadratics in it. And then it could be extended to even further than that um, for like statistical analysis wow. and other things that IM3 could use. And so all of our levels at our school were looking at it and looking at possibly using it um, at the time we were developing it. And um, yeah, the district was real giddy about it. They were so excited. But then, um, yeah, just, we didn't have the technology in place. And it was, it was not any fault of mine or any of the teachers, we just didn't have the materials we needed. But that's why you needed the grant, so you could buy the materials. <laughs> <laughs> it's a catch-22. It's a rip-off. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things which you were you were talking about, and, and, and I remember you and I speaking um, when, when Common Core came out, um, and and one of the things in which I remember was that you, as a as a math teacher, liked it, mm -hmm. um, and that was and that was I still do. Yeah, see, and that's <laughs> and that's one of the things that that I'm not surprised with, but with but with a lot of um, um, there's been a lot of parents who have said, "Oh my gosh, it's terrible," and this and this, right. and so and so. Tell us why, as a as a as a math teacher that, you know, you, you like it. Okay. So Americans in general don't have really good number sense and are not really good at math. And one of the reasons for that is because of the way that we've been trained in math. Um, math, math in America was always taught with just learning algorithms and following rules and just learning how to, you know, manipulate equations and get answers. And, Americans were not taught the number sense behind the work and being able to actually have a really deep understanding of what they were doing. And so Common Core is designed to try to help us um, keep up with the rest of the world. We've been teaching the same way forever and the rest of the world is, and, and we actually have stayed pretty steady in our, um, uh, you know, like how, how successful our students are and everything but the rest of the world is getting better and better and better and we're being left behind. And so we started looking at how other countries are teaching their kids math. And it was basically about project-based learning and they do a lot more um, having the kids apply what they're learning. Um, and at the elementary level, they're teaching them how to understand the concepts versus just following algorithms. Or, um, for instance, like we the di long division algorithm, they don't even use it anymore. Um, oh. Subtraction, rather than teaching them to borrow from the next place value, because the kids weren't understanding what place value even meant. Oh. Um, they're teaching the kids that subtraction is the difference between two numbers. So anytime you have a, a problem that you don't understand how to do, like 100 minus 27, where the kid, they always fall apart on those kind mm -hmm. where they have to borrow, right? 
So instead of teaching them borrowing, you teach you teach them that the difference between 100 and 27 is the same as if you lower both of those numbers by one. So if you change it to 99 minus 26, it's the exact same problem. You're going to get the same answer. Hmm. So they teach them to do it that way. Like there's a lot of really cool, really good ideas in Common Core, but the parents don't like it because they weren't trained that way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people are creatures of habit. Yep. And you want to do things the same way that you were taught how to do them. So the kids come home, the parents have no training in it or not enough training. Some school districts do offer help for parents to understand Common Core mm-hmm. and, you know, how to how to help their kids with it, but not enough. Um, and so the parents are frustrated with it. A lot of the elementary teachers don't have a math background and don't have, they weren't trained properly. They, do, they didn't receive four years of training like my district did with us wow. to prepare for it. And so you've got all these people who aren't trained in math, um, don't really understand math well themselves. They just barely learned how to hang on to those algorithms themselves. <laughs> and then, you know, and so, and they're trying to implement this new program and they have no idea how to do it. So the teachers are frustrated. The parents are frustrated. That's the problem. Okay. So you went through a four-year training to learn the Common Core math and how to yeah. So yeah, they actually thinking. had us start way back with picking apart the um, the standards. We had to go through; it was horrible. <laughs> but we had to pick apart, look at every single standard, and say where would this standard? Where do we want to put this standard in our program? Mm. And so we went through every single standard, put them together the way we wanted them into units. And then we designed projects um, in that unit first. What ultimately do we want our kids to be able to do with these standards? Why would this be something that might be important for them in their futures? And we designed the projects first and then said, okay, what skills are we going to have to teach for them to be able to ultimately be able to perform in this project? And, And then we designed all of our curriculum to fit in that unit to go with that project. Wow. That sounds like a really thoughtful process. Was that change in thinking difficult for you to take on as far as learning math? I assume you learned math the way I learned math. And then now the way that we teach it with Common Core, was that? Not for me. I was actually really excited about it. I I loved the whole process. I mean, yeah. except for dealing with the standards. I don't like that part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they still, every time. Every time we like create a new project or whatever, they ask us, you know, to um, lay out what standards go with it. And I'm like, oh my god, okay, yeah. And so you got to dig back through all the standards and throw them in there. But hmm. um, I don't like that part. But as far as like designing or or finding the things that we want to use to teach, it's it's a blast. I love it. And I I don't know. I think because I have a good understanding and I yeah. know where the kids are falling short and I know what they need. And I also know I'm a pretty good motivator with the kids. So can you share some examples of how you do this to examples of doing what, um, like you said, you're a good motivator of the students. So what are some ways that you try to motivate students to Um, get excited? So I know that the human, okay. So human connection is ultimately what everything is about. If they don't, if they don't feel connected, 
to each other and to me in my classroom, Mm -hmm. nothing I do with them is going to stick or be meaningful. And so um, I make sure that we, you know, forge that human connection. We like do activities at the beginning to make sure um, we're all, you know, um, on the same page. We're all going to be cooperative. We're all going to do everything we can to try to learn the material. Like just, I don't know. I'm, it, it's funny because administrators always ask me the same thing. They come into my room. They see all the kids working. They'll even take notes. Like all of my students participate in note-taking when we have to do it. Mm-hmm. It's not something you can avoid completely. There are some days where we actually have to do that, you know? Yeah. And administrators will come into my room and they're like, your kids are taking notes. Mm-hmm. They don't take notes in their other classes. How do you get them to do that? Like, I don't. Uh, I don't honestly really know. I just know that they want to please me. They want to do what I ask them to do, and it's because they've decided I'm okay and they want to work for me. <laughs> You're okay. They. <laughs> I mean, obviously, so they know that you care about them, and so that's right. something that you probably just dis- display in. The right. way you greet them in the morning. It's probably all these like little intangible things, the way that you That's greet them true. in the morning. I always morning. greet my students at the door every yeah. day. Um, and I told them the reason I'll always do this is because I want to always at least say good morning mm-hmm. or hi, how are you? Or, you know, how did that game go yesterday? Or, you know, have a little connection with them yep. before I might have to correct them in some way. <laughs> yeah. And that's those right there. Those are the examples that I think. Um, mm-hmm. are yeah. what connects you is that human connection that you said that you have with each of your students. You know that they play basketball and you know that they had a game last night. And so you're mm-hmm. genuinely interested in how they did. Yeah. Right. And take an interest. And well, guess with any of us, if you don't feel like you're heard, mm-hmm. um, nobody's listening to you, nobody cares about what you're doing, then yeah, you don't make connections with those people. Right. So yeah. That's right. So so tell us how you how you actually got into teaching, um, and then how how did this love for for math develop? Okay, um, so I grew up in Colorado, and I know that I purposely was part I, when I was growing up. Um, when I was in elementary school, it was like the mid seventies, and it was at that time where there was a big push for like gender equality and trying to get more women to um, study mathematics and science. So that's, pushing women more in that direction. That seems and very know, familiar yeah. to right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, and I, so I remember, because that was at the time when all those t-shirts came out that said, anything boys can do, girls can do better. I love it. Yeah. Those kinds of things. And I had, I know I had one of those t-shirts. <laughs> that, um, and I know that in school, they were really trying to push us into like, wanting to do more with math and stuff. And I always loved it. I always loved all the math and everything that I did. But when, um, so when I was in high school, I always said I wanted to maybe become a doctor or an engineer or something like that. And, um, but as I, so I went into college, I actually went to University of Colorado as a um, engineering, I started in uh, chemical engineering. And because I loved chemistry too in high school, math and chemistry. And so I started in that field. But when I found out what types of jobs I was going to be able to get when I graduated, about two and a half years in, 
I was going to have to wear a hard hat most likely and work at a refinery in Denver, Colorado. And I was like, <laughs> this is not what I want. And be woke up at 2 a.m. when the computer system breaks down and have to go in and like, no, that's not me. I don't want to do this. And I, at the same time, I was um, always helping everybody with all their math and like the applied mathematics courses in the engineering school. And it was always easy for me. I could sit during my lectures and like read a newspaper while everyone else was madly taking notes and like, you know, with frustration in their faces and everything. <laughs> and they'd see me in the back is reading a paper and they'd, you know, and they'd be like, okay, we have this assignment that's due in a week. Like, are you worried about it? And I'm like, no, it's going to be easy. And they're like, can I work with you? So we were always forming study groups and stuff and I would get free pizza. And, <laughs> like, you know, if you work with me, I'll buy you coffee over at Denny's or whatever. I'm like, okay, <laughs> work. So um, anyway, so then I thought, I don't want to do engineering. I really don't like this, this vision of what it, seeing myself in the future doing that. So I think I should just be a math teacher. And I remember when I went back to my um, high school teachers, they were disappointed. And really? They wow. were very disappointed. They're like, why did you become a teacher? You were going to be a doctor or an engineer. And we mm. were so excited about that. And I said, but this is a great career for me. I think I can do really well and influence a lot of people and help people. Mm. And they're like, well, yeah, but you could have done so much more. And I'm like, well, is that how you Wow like that bad and I'm like really so anyway I thought that was pretty sad I had so much respect for I actually lost a lot of respect for them when they viewed me that way I was like wow I can't believe this oh God. so so tell us about now um because you were you were teaching in in Colorado mm-hmm and then you came out to California. Mm-hmm. Can you can you share what that transition was like? Teaching, oh, <laughs> teaching in California or teaching in Colorado, and then coming out here. All right. So I, I was pretty frustrated in that, um, like that one state wasn't going to accept another state's credential. <laughs> yeah, that's I, annoying. I cannot believe that. I'm like, you're you're got to be kidding me. I'm like, I've got this pro- professional credential. And I'm a really good teacher. I had all these really good recommendations and stuff. And they said, well, you're still going to have to take this course and that course and all this and go through our uh, program here. And it's going to require you to have to, you know, fill out all these lesson plans for us. All this, I I could not believe all the rigmarole they wanted to put me through. Um, And so that was pretty frustrating. And, uh, but I I did it. I actually... um, at the same time was having issues with one. I have four kids at home and I was having issues with one of my uh, daughters who was very boy crazy. Mm-hmm. And I was concerned that she was going to end up barefoot and pregnant and not go to college and stuff. And so I actually went on leave for a year to hang out at home and drive her to and from school and keep my ear open at night to make sure she wasn't sneaking out of the house and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and so, and I, then during that year, I actually hooked up with somebody from um, Azusa Pacific oh. um, and University of Laverne. They were very, very helpful too. And um, they talked to me about an online program that where I could get my credential online. Mm-hmm. And so I went ahead and signed up for that through, um, I think it was University of um, San Diego online. 
Okay. And so I did all my credentialing through them um, during that year and then came back to Montclair High School after that. So. Did you have to student teach all over again? No, okay. I didn't have to. I already had a job. Yeah. I, I already had the job here. They gave it to me on the, the emergency credential. Gotcha. Yeah. And then um, I, when I got my clear credential, then they were like, oh, awesome. And I didn't have to go through all the, the other stuff. So, yeah. But. And I've had three student teachers since then. They put three student teachers with me. Um, all of them did become teachers, and two of them are got hired by my school. So oh, that's great. Teachers are teaching here. Um, I have college mentors that have helped in my classroom who started college in all kinds of different um, majors, and I have three of them that have switched to math majors and want to be math teachers now. That's awesome. <laughs> um, I don't know it's fun. So, so do you partner with other universities and colleges too, other than having student teachers? Um, no, not me personally, but they'll come to our, you know, administration to the office and then the office sends them to who they think would be good people for them to work with. Yeah. And um, the mentor program at our school is really awesome. Um, the kids, anybody who's graduated from our school, can come back and work in our classrooms, part-time jobs, whenever it fits with their college schedules wow. and um, just help out in the classrooms. Wow. And, and if they're interested in teaching, they get a you know good feel for what that's going to be like. Um, it's, it's really an awesome program. That is really good because then before you fully commit to a teaching credential, because as you know, in California, it's pretty rigorous you yeah, get an opportunity to see what it's like from the teacher's perspective other than from a student's perspective. And mm -hmm. before you fully commit to that, you can kind of test it out. Right. Yeah. And they, in their role in the classroom is pretty much to be an um, advocate for the, for the kids. Yeah. So like any kind of, any time a kid is upset with me or feeling that I'm asking them to do something unreasonable, mm. Um, and I can see it on their face. I'll just kind of like point, you know, to my college mentor, like, okay, mm -hmm. this one's on you. And so I have them take them, <laughs> I like them, take them out the hall and talk to them for a little while. You know, you look like you're really frustrated with Ms. what Miss Hoverson just asked you to do. What's the matter? What's going on? Mm -hmm. And talk. They're more a lot more likely to, you know, open up with them. And so they talk with them, and and then they come back in with yeah. hopefully a little bit better attitude and ready to go. So. I like that. It works pretty well. It, it really is a good program. Yeah, because then that's not something that you have to pull away from your attention from the rest right. of the class to try to deal with. That's great. Yep. Um, one of the things that you were talking about with, with math was um, project-based learning. Can you can you share with us um, any any PBL lessons that that you and your you and your students do? Okay. Um, well, we just finished one. Uh, this one, the project that we designed for our congruent triangle unit um, is an art project. I basically have them create a sculpture with um, using congruent triangles. And they have to, they first have to, so I have 20 triangles that are up on the board and uh, they have to put their hand in a box. So I have 20 numbers in there and they just randomly get assigned one. And then they're not allowed to go up and trace that triangle. So this is at the end of the unit. They've already learned about all of the congruence postulates. 
which, um, you know, like angle, angle side works to create a triangle. If you measure two angles in a side, a non, non-included side of a triangle, and then you go back to your seat and, and use those measurements, you can recreate that triangle perfectly. And so um, at the end of the unit, they understand this because they've gone through all kinds of activities and things. Discover- we, first of all, we do a discovery activity during that unit. We don't give them notes on the postulates and just make them memorize them. We actually have them discover the postulates themselves by following those same kinds of directions. We have a six triangle activity at the beginning. So we um, six directions, and one of them is basically side, side, side. So we say, okay, we want you to create a triangle that is nine centimeters by 12 centimeters by 14 centimeters. Well, they quickly learn that that's not an easy triangle to create. They, they know how to measure, most of them, with a ruler by the time they get to high school. Um, <laughs> So they know how to create those three side lengths, but trying to piece it together to make a triangle is not easy. Yeah. But then they realize, ooh, maybe maybe measuring with a protractor and measuring an angle might be helpful to learn. Mm. Okay, so now they got motivation to learn how to do that. So then the next set of directions says, okay, measure a seven-centimeter side, a 45-degree 40, angle, and then a nine-centimeter side and create a triangle out of that. And they realized that one's a lot easier to do than that last one, than the side, side, side one was. Um, and so they learned the different postulates by doing this. Two of the sets of directions are turn out to be angle, 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 which does not work. So what we do is we have them all create one with angle, angle, angle. And what happens is they all end up with similar triangles, but they're all different sizes. Yeah. And they realize, oh, angle, angle, angle is not a postulate for creating congruent triangles, it doesn't work. So we don't have to have, we don't just give them notes and have them memorize. You cannot use angle, 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 and then they never know why. Yeah. They discover it themselves. And we put all of their triangles that they create that way under their hover cam, and then it's up on my smart board. They can all see it. They're like, oh, they're all different sizes. They all look the same shape, but they're all different sizes. Wow. And so they discover the postulates themselves and they yeah. and then it's more meaningful and they understand it and they remember it. And so um, at the end of the unit, they are assigned a triangle. They go up and they make their three measurements. They all know which one's going to be easiest. They all use side angle side. It's the easiest way to do it. <laughs> and and we don't have to prompt them to do it. They're smart. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and there, there'll be a few who will try to do side, side, side and they forget and then they're like, oh, yeah, that one, that didn't work very well. Um, I, I, need to, I need to do an angle. And then, but those are the ones who are usually not confident in using the protractors, and they need to be reminded how to do it. But then, you right. know, here's my mentor and myself. And in two of my classes, I actually team teach with a um, special ed teacher. And so oh, there's nice. two certified teachers in the room, and they pack those, those classes with special ed kids. Um, but then, you know, we're, there's three of us around to be able to help them too. So it's really nice. Um, but so they're assigned their triangle. They create, they go back to their seat with their three measurements and they create their triangle and, and then they have to get it signed to make sure that it's exactly right. Um, once it's right, then all they do, we, I, I buy a whole bunch of, um, booklets for, um, that, you know, people used to use to make those, um, scrapbooks. 
you know, but people don't do yeah. that anymore with <laughs> digital pictures and stuff like that. Right. So um, all of those scrapbooks, they were, they're all on sale at all the like Hobby Lobby and Michael's and stuff for like five bucks for the whole scrapbook. So I buy a whole bunch of those and the kids get to use those pages, but really fun colors and um, designs and things like that. And they create their eight congruent triangles and then they have to come up with some sort of a sculpture or something. And um, I've got some in the room, but I don't know how to be able to show you guys. That's all right. No, no, no. Okay. And it's one. I think what's I think what's really um, and I and I gleaned this from you early when you know when when I when we had first first met. Yeah. Um, you make math fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> well, you kind of say it like, well, yeah, because it is fun. But for you know, and and me coming coming from a from a social studies perspective, mm-hmm. I understood going going into it that um, you know, for for a lot of people, history is not fun um, just because of all the memorizing. And so, how can I change it? And so, mm-hmm. how do you make math fun? I mean, this is this is just one one example. So, how do you? Um, provide opportunities for you know kids could say yeah math is math is pretty cool yeah um well I tell them on day one my very first day I say how many people hate math and a lot of them will raise their hand because I have I teach the lowest level at high school Mm -hmm. oh wow and so um I get all the kids that didn't do so well in middle school for the most part and then I have some in here who opted out of honors for one reason or another. They're just not confident or they feel like, you know, they don't want to work that hard. Mm-hmm. So I've got lots of reasons why I've got a few kids in here who should be in honors, but they, they opted out of it. Okay. So then those are sitting in my room. They're great. They're there. We need them here. Yeah. Um, because I have some kids that can't add, subtract or multiply when they come to me. And so I have to teach those ones how to be able to use a calculator because wow. I don't have time to teach them to memorize their times tables that they still don't know. So um, they're relying on a calculator and they get to use calculators on all tests and quizzes. Um, But anyway, I tell them the very first day, my number one goal is to change your mind. If you don't like math, I want to change your mind. Mm -hmm. And hopefully by the end of this year, you're going to at least say, math is all right. It's not so bad. Most of them do say at least that. Most of them tell me this class was fun. And often, every almost on a daily basis, kids will be like, it's already time to go, you oh, know, because I'm good. like, I have it busy the whole time. Yeah. They're always busy. I don't, we don't have any downtime. Some of them will complain and say, you know, why don't we ever chill in here? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> we have too much to do. So, um, so I keep them busy. Um, but they always know that it's not busy work. They know that everything we do has a purpose that we're always shooting towards some final, um, project that they know they're going to have to be able to do. And that every single activity that I do with them is giving them a skill they're going to need for that project. And so they're motivated to, to do it on a daily basis. And, it doesn't mean that I have to stop sometimes and correct, you know, wait a minute, wait a minute. We've got too many people that are off task or you guys are not doing this right. You mm-hmm. know, I still have to make those kinds of corrections. They are 14 <laughs> years old. 
halfway between seven and 21 and some of them act seven and some of them act 21. So yeah, we've got those kinds of issues, but still it's high um, for the most part, they, they enjoy my class. And, so how did you get involved or start with designing in a project or a problem-based way? I actually have always been kind of creative. Math was not my only love. Yeah. And I, I actually loved art. I love science. I had lots of interests. And people have always told me from the time I taught middle school in Denver, I started as a middle school teacher there, to even now when they come in my classroom, they're like, your room is so nice and it's all decorated and you decorate for the holidays and <laughs> you do all this stuff just like elementary school teachers do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and high school teachers don't typically do that stuff. Right. Um, but I do it all because I like I know that some of my kids don't ever get any of that at home. Yeah. And so to be able to celebrate the holidays, you know, St. Patty's Day, we got green and leprechauns all over. And <laughs> I do an end of the rainbow thing where they get to win uh, Werther's candies that are all in gold and they're all oh, sitting in cute. a treasure chest and stuff. They get to win those on St. Patty's oh. Day, like just have fun with them because mm-hmm. and celebrate things because a lot of them don't often have the opportunity to be able to do that in their own lives. Yeah. So, um, kind of lost my train of thought. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's okay. how you, you're, you're creative and that's how you got into designing and project yeah. and problem based yeah. ways. Yeah. I just, I've always kind of just been that way. I think naturally I've always created things. I was one of those kids I would create, you know, my own language um, with my own letters and stuff. And then we'd, we'd, my brothers and sisters and I would use that to make, you know, write code, writing code and things like that for two days. But then we'd be bored with that. And so we'd create a new one, you know. That's so cool. Yeah. So, so um, with, with your wealth of knowledge, what would you recommend for incoming pre-service math teachers um, that are that are looking at getting their credentials in math, um, teach math, um, what would be some um, sage advice for them? I think um, lots of observation first. Like these mentors get the opportunity to observe and see uh, lots of different teachers and lots of different styles. Um, they need to observe first. Not everybody, I think, is a natural born teacher. And um, some people, I think, are. I really believe that. But then if you're not, you can learn the skills if you really want to do it, too. But you have to want to. And I think some people go into it not really realizing everything that teaching is going to entail. I think some people get they get all the way through their, their teaching programs. They start their student teaching, and then they're like, ooh. This isn't really what I want to do. We, we actually had a new teacher at our school uh, a couple of years ago who joined our, our IM1 team, and Integrated Math 1 team, and she taught for one year here and then said, this isn't for me. And wow. she quit teaching, wow. and she's like, I'm going to put more years into this yeah. um, and then, you know, be miserable for the rest of my life. And so the first year is the hardest, though. It wasn't for me. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. I, I don't think that that's the same experience for everybody. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. From mm-hmm. the beginning, others don't. Yeah. So, 
yeah, I just loved it. I, I knew that was where I needed to be. And I was like, perfectly happy even and I taught in inner city Denver where it was like really gang ridden and we had to duck I had to do duck and cover with my students because bullets were flying in the five points neighborhood where I was teaching wow it was crazy there but I knew that I was with the kids and then I was going to be able to really help them Mm -hmm. and I loved it from the beginning awesome well I'm glad that you stuck with it and I'm sure all your students are too and Shame on your former teachers who made you feel bad about choosing that as a career because you are really making a difference. Yeah, I was coaching at my high school that I graduated from and then um, subbing that first year because I I, I did a permanent subbing um, job at the school. So I wouldn't have Mm -hmm. to go to other schools. I would just sub there and then coach after school. And they were like, why are you doing this? You should be an engineer or something. I said, I want to be a teacher. But you're creating more engineers and doctors and whatever for future. So that's good. Yeah, that's right. Well, and I've had kids like the seniors will come back. They have them come um, on our last faculty meeting of the year. Our school has the seniors come in and they buy tons of roses and they let the seniors pick roses if they want to and take them to teachers. Oh, and wow. they and they give them little thank you notes that they can write to give along with the roses. But they come and they give us a hug and tell us, you're the one that made me want to go into engineering or you're the one that did this. And it's really cool. That is very cool. I like that. That's really sweet. Mm-hmm. Well, so- um, our last question we like to ask our uh, guests are what is your call to action so if you if our listeners could take one thing away from your uh, message today what would you tell them goodness um so i think common core standards get a really bad rap um but part it's right rightly so because people aren't trained properly yeah so i believe that school districts need to properly train their teachers to be able to implement the common core standards the way that they need to be done because it is designed the common core is designed to help america be able to keep up with the rest of the world better yeah and so i do believe that that's something we should not abandon we need to stick with it and people just need more training especially at the elementary and middle school levels um and we need to try to encourage more math people, people who have um, the ability to get a math degree to go into maybe elementary education. We need mm-hmm. more of them to stay at that level. They need to be, you know, yeah. maybe um, paid more to stay yeah. at that level rather than um, teaching at a high school level so that we can get people at that level to be able mm-hmm. to implement the program better. Um, we need more men in elementary school too because yeah, it's so be female good. heavy and I've been teaching credential students and at Cal State Fullerton for the last year and a half there and it's mainly females. I've had one male student in that mm-hmm. amount of time. So Yeah, um, another friend of ours from Water Polo that Fred knows, he's an elementary teacher in San Bernardino and it, there's actually a waiting list at his school. Every every parent wants their kid to be in his class. Hmm. Um, and I, can't re- I think yeah. he teaches 
fifth grade. Mm-hmm. Wow. Roland, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there's a waiting list. The, the people all want their kids in his class. Yeah. And but they can't all be in his class. So. No. Yeah, we need more men yep. in elementary education. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Janine, for all the work that you do with your students and making or helping people love math. (laughs) I heard a quote once from a professor who said, don't let your students say, I'm not good at math. Just let them say, I'm not good at math yet. So growth mindset. (laughs) Yeah, I'm struggling today, but that doesn't mean I'm going to struggle tomorrow. Exactly. Yeah, I always correct them that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good. That's great. All right. Thanks so much for being here and uh, keep doing all the great things that you're doing. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.